So this past August, my family and I, we got into our vehicle and we drove over to Sanibel Island. We set apart a, a special weekend just to relax, to get away. We bought all our beach toys, suntan lotion. We drove just about three hours to get there. Sanibel Island is on the Gulf Coast of Florida, just on the other side of Fort Myers, just south of Captiva Island. But there was a problem this particular weekend. It rained the entire time. Can you believe that? In fact, not only did it rain while we were there, it rained before we even got there. They experienced a ton of rain and there was probably, I don't know what, two or three inches of, of roads just covered um, in flood water. And, uh, and I remember being there and on Lighthouse Beach just walking and I started getting frustrated. I said, God, are you kidding me? We drove almost three hours to get here. We were able to carve out this time so we can have some fun in the sun. You're telling me you can't give us a little bit of sunlight, a little bit of those crystal clear waters that we see on Facebook and on the postcards? Huh? Those beautiful shells. We brought our three-year-old daughter with us. She's never been shelling before. I haven't been there since our honeymoon. And here I am having this back and forth with God. Well, <laughs> it was a lot more forth than it was back. I was doing a lot of complaining and God was just silent. And while he was silent, it was in that moment, I had a shift of my perspective. The truth is that same weekend, Hurricane Harvey just finished making landfall and hit Houston and Southeast Texas area. Hundreds of thousands of people were impacted. Up to 52 inches of accumulated rain, flooding, catastrophic flooding. It prompted 17,000 rescues because of a four-day period of rain. And here I am, in one of the most beautiful places in Florida, complaining because I have two inches of rain and because I can't put my toes in the sand and enjoy what I was expecting. I had to have a change of perspective. And the title of today's message is Perspective in the Wilderness. Perspective in the Wilderness. And we're going to see a story of the Israelites being delivered from the hand of Pharaoh. When, he was, when, when they received their deliverance, they were headed for the promised land, but God had a divine detour in mind. God saw it fit to bring them through the wilderness. So that story is found in Exodus chapter 13. If you have your Bibles today, if you would open it up to Exodus chapter 13. And while you're turning there, I just want to share the definition of perspective. Perspective defined is a particular attitude toward or a way of regarding something. Perspective is a point of view. Our 16th president, Abraham Lincoln, he said this. He said that we can complain because rose bushes have thorns, or we can rejoice because thorn bushes have roses. See, perspective will cause us to either complain about the situation, or perspective will cause us to rejoice about the situation. 
And again, I was in Sanibel Island. It was nowhere near an actual wilderness. It was far from a desert. But there's a story of the Israelites where they encountered a desert. And that's what we're going to look at today. And I'm just believing that today God is going to deposit a change in your life. I am trusting that the Word of God is going to do something today that's going to cause your perspective to change in the season that you're in. So if you would look, at, look with me to Exodus chapter 13, starting in verse 17. We'll put the scriptures up on the screen. And it says this, When Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not lead them along the main road that runs through Philistine territory, even though that was the shortest route to the promised land. God said, if the people are faced with a battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness toward the Red Sea. Thus the Israelites left Egypt like an army ready for battle. In verse 20, the Israelites left Sakoth and encamped at Etham. And we go on to see that the Lord went ahead of them And what did he do? He guided them during the day with a pillar of cloud, and he provided light at night with a pillar of fire. This allowed them to travel by day or by night, and the Lord did not remove the pillar of cloud or pillar of fire from its place in front of the people. And we see in the next chapter, uh, chapter 14, and and looking down at verse 4, it says, And once again, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will chase after you. I have planned this. The Lord says, I have planned this in order to display my glory through Pharaoh and the whole army. And after this, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites camped there as they were told. You know, and God took the Israelites on a detour out of Egypt so that they would not turn back when they faced the battle. Yes, they were equipped for battle, but there was one thing missing, a very important thing missing. They have yet to trust in the Lord as their deliverer. So essentially, God led them the longer way and not the shorter way for their own protection. We see here that God helped prepare Israel for battle by taking them the long route. We see that God guided Israel with the pillar a fire, a pillar of cloud, and taught them to trust in his guidance. We see that, that God brought them to a place where he can demonstrate his power and his glory. Not to show off, to say, this is God and this is what I can do. No. God brought them to that place and he allowed those circumstances to take shape so that they can build their trust for the future battles that there was yet to come. And God had a reason for taking the Israelites through the wilderness. And if there is one thing that I can tell you today, if there is one point that you can walk away with today, it's this. That God uses the wilderness to accomplish his purposes. That God uses the wilderness to accomplish his purposes. See, because the wilderness does funny things to us, doesn't it? The wilderness puts a demand on our faith. The wilderness, it causes us to reach beyond ourselves. I don't know about you, but 
for me, when I'm in a wilderness, I get desperate. And I pray prayers that I usually don't pray. I fast when I usually don't fast. I read the word in ways that I normally don't read. And obviously, God's not going to take all of us through an actual desert. But one thing is sure. There is a biblical truth that we see here in this story that I believe applies to all of our lives. That God will take us on unexpected journeys to unexpected places at unexpected times. And he does this because his plan is greater than our plans. We find ourselves in situations sometimes and it just doesn't make sense or it's inconvenient or it's hard and it hurts. The truth is, There are many people today walking in a wilderness. Or you've just finished walking out of a wilderness. Or you're getting ready to walk into a wilderness. I believe that this word applies to every single person. God uses the wilderness to accomplish his purposes. The first thing that we can see from this story is that God prepares us. God prepares us. What does he prepare us for? God prepares us for unexpected situations in our lives. Because there are things that we just don't know. God prepares us for things that are ahead. The truth is, we don't know what we don't know. If we knew what we didn't know, then we would get ready for those things. But God, being all-knowing, knows all things. And he knows things that we don't know. It reminds me of a story of a businessman in New York. He worked in Manhattan, but he lived in a town called Poughkeepsie, about 70 miles north of Manhattan. It was very common for people to work in Manhattan, but not live in Manhattan, because it's very expensive to live in Manhattan. Huh? But the pay and the salary is very attractive. So a lot of people, what they would do, they wouldn't drive into Manhattan. They wouldn't have to wrestle with the Taconic or drive down the Henry Hudson. They wouldn't have to do that. All they had to do was hop on the Metro North commuter trail. There was a Hudson line on the Metro North that ran on the east shore of the Hudson River. So here's this man. Every morning, he would get up early, hop on the train, an hour down. After work, hop on the train, an hour back. Well, this businessman on this particular time... He spent an entire month trying to lock down on this contract. He worked extra hours in the morning. He worked extra hours at night. His family was feeling the burden of his extra hours. But then he finally got that contract. In this particular week, he was exhausted. But he was happy that he finally got the contract. So he did what he normally does. He would exit his office on Madison Avenue, head down towards 42nd Street, grab his sabrette hot dog with the onion sauce. New Yorkers know exactly what I'm talking about. Then he would see where his train was going to board and what track. He'd go down to that track and wait, and the the train finally pulled up. People got off, and then he got on and got his favorite seat. He was sitting very comfortably. He had his hot dog, he had his drink, he had his iPod, and he was ready to enjoy this hour ride home and give his family the great news. As people were coming on, there was this gentleman with three boys, three active boys, from the ages of six to nine. 
This gentleman gets on and he gets comfortable in his seat. He actually ends up falling asleep as they're waiting for the train to, um, to get ready to depart. While the gentleman's sleeping, the boys are kind of running back and forth. And the businessman's saying, oh, please don't let them sit behind me. But he figured that they would settle down by the time that the train was ready to go, that the boys will settle down. Well, the train was getting ready to go, and the boys did settle down, but where did they sit? Right behind them. And then they started getting anxious again. They started poking. They started fighting over a toy. And then the middle boy started kneeing the back of the chair. Businessman saying, that's it. He wakes up the gentleman next to him. He says, sir, can you please control your kids? I've worked on a contract for a month, and I'm exhausted. I would really enjoy having a peaceful trip home. The husband that's there, he wakes up from his sleep. His eyes are bloodshot, and he can even barely stutter a complete sentence. He looks at the businessman, and he says, Sir, I'm sorry. Boys, settle down. Sir, I'm I'm, I'm sorry. Um, I'm sorry. I apologize about my, my boys. Um, the truth is, we just, we just left the hospital uh, three days ago. My wife was in a car accident. And, um, and the boys are just wound up. They were just pinned up in a hospital. And um, they don't even really know that their mother's not going to be in their lives anymore. And I haven't gotten any sleep, and, and I must have dozed off. I apologize. I'll make sure that they behave. It was in that moment where the businessman looked at this gentleman, and he had a shift of perspective. Where the entire situation changed, yet nothing changed. The boys were still acting up. He was still getting need. But everything changed. The businessman looks at the gentleman and he now knew what he didn't know. And his heart went out to him. He apologized. He even offered financially, is there anything that he can do? And I believe that God works the same way in our lives, that sometimes we're that businessman. And we work hard. And we're inconvenienced. And things don't make sense. Things hurt. But there's things in our lives that we just don't know. But God knows. And we have to have confidence that we're in his hands. And God prepares us for those things. So that's the first thing that God does in the wilderness. He prepares us. The second thing is, he guides us. God guides us in the wilderness. Because God uses the wilderness to accomplish his purposes. God guided the Israelites with the cloud and the fire. And though God won't guide all believers with a visible cloud or a visible fire, I guess other than Moses, he kind of did that. I haven't seen it. But the truth is, is that God guides us even in tough times. Even in times where we're crying out and we feel like he's not even listening. Even in times when we feel like we're walking through hell all alone and no one understands us. 
God is with you. God is still there to guide you. Because when we look at this scripture, we see here in verse 22, what does it say there? It says how he did not, the Lord did not remove the pillar of cloud or the pillar of fire from its place. He kept it in front of his people. He kept his word. There's a term, a theological term in the Bible. There's a theological term, rather. And it's called illumination. Illumination is when the Holy Spirit reveals something to you. Have you ever read your Bible or you're listening to a sermon or you're listening to a podcast, watching something on TV, and you've heard a story 50 times, but on the 51st, 51st time, it makes sense? That's the Holy Spirit illuminating the revelation of the Scriptures in you. An illumination is just like a flashlight when it's dark. And, and that's what we see here, where the Lord had a pillar of fire to, guard them at, to guide them at night. And the same thing is for us today. We don't have a pillar of fire, but we have His Word. Because His Word, the Bible says that His Word is a lamp to our feet, and it's a light to our path. And I'm here to tell you today, regardless of what situation you're walking through, your wilderness is not going to look like my wilderness or the next person's wilderness, but the answer to your situation, the light that's going to guide you for where you are today, is found right here. Whether it's your marriage, whether it's your health, whether it's your job, whether it's your finances, whether it's your peace, whether it's your joy, whether it's your sleep, somebody say hallelujah. Man, I love sleep. A little too much though, right honey? Sometimes. But he, li- he guides us with his word. Because God uses the wilderness to accomplish his purposes. And the third thing that we can extract from these biblical truths is that God builds our trust in him. God builds our trust in Him. God puts Israel into situations time and time again that allowed Him to demonstrate and display His power so that they can trust in both His character and trust in His actions. Just because the Lord did not take them on the shortest path to the promised land, just because the Lord tried to keep them away from Philistine territory, it doesn't mean that he wasn't taking them there. But he just had to build their trust in him. At this time, I just want us to look at the screen and watch a testimony. There's this young lady by the name of Jordan. And she shares about some news that she gets as a young child. But how God over time and over her life has just prepared her for situation to situation. And let's hear what she says at the end. So go ahead and, and watch this video. The first 10 years of my life were incredibly challenging um, because when I was 18 months old, I was diagnosed with Ewing sarcoma. So the doctors decided that the only way I was truly going to be able to survive was amputating my left leg. Since I was diagnosed with cancer at such a young age and the treatment that I was given really takes a toll on your body and a lot of women can't have children after that and I was one of those women. 
For the first time in my life, I think it hit me, and uh, I really understood that I was going to be missing out on something that I had dreamed about my entire life. I was always afraid that no man would accept me in a way that a wife wants to be accepted physically, you know, intimately. That was a huge deal for me because I was now dating this man who we were talking about marriage and looking at him and knowing that I lacked something that he wanted was detrimental to the way that I saw myself. My husband and I were married and on the fourth month I took a pregnancy test and I was pregnant. In the fifth month of my pregnancy I was told by a doctor that I had a heart condition that was um, critical and that if I did not abort my child that it would claim my life. I have never felt so confused, so bitter, so afraid in that moment because I was terrified. I didn't want to die. And this was my child, and I knew that it was my duty to protect her the way that the Lord had sheltered me and protected me for so long against everything that the world had thrown at me. And so we decided that we were keeping Ellie, my daughter, even if that meant me not being alive. We were going to trust God every single minute of every day. You know, the months follow, and I get bigger and bigger, and Ellie kicks stronger and stronger, and uh, we have her, and she's healthy. And it was wonderful. It was the most amazing day of my life because I saw a miracle that I was told would never happen come true. And then two days later, I was trying to go to sleep and I felt like I was suffocating. And so I called my doctor and she said, you need to come in right now. She looked at me and she said, Jordan, you're going into heart failure. I felt like the rug was being pulled out from underneath me. I had this beautiful child, I have this home, I have this husband, and now it's gone. Me being able to watch her grow into the woman that I wanted was gone. And I remember I was at church one Sunday and I was feeling weak and I just threw my hands up and I said, are you listening to me? Do you hear me? I am asking you for help and you are silent. And I just felt the Holy Spirit say to me, I'm going to keep allowing things to happen until you trust me. Are we there yet? And about two weeks ago, I was sitting on this couch and I got a phone call from a doctor and he said, Jordan, your heart is healing and we don't know why. And now I feel like I'm at the place in my life where I've seen too much of him to not trust him. I feel like he's brought me to a place of surrender, of peace, that my trust looks a lot like that. It looks a lot like surrender. I trust Him because I know Him. Jordan says, I know that my, it is my duty to, to protect my child. The way that the Lord had protected me and sheltered me for so long against everything that the world thrown at my way. She said that my place of trust was at the place of surrender. You know, 
If I could just be real with you, I can stand up here and I can put some points together, share some scriptures, show a testimony, and make it appear like when I don't face situations that running to the Word is, is always the first thing that I do because it's not. Just like many of us here today, we do give in to things like fear. We do give in to things like confusion or doubt. But it's in those times where we have to reach down and remember what the Lord has done for us. Just like the song that we were singing this morning, when I think about the Lord, how He saved me, how He raised me. Huh? If there's one thing that we can always hold on to and always remember is that God presented us the gospel of Jesus Christ right when we needed it. And because of that, He has turned our life around. Does that mean that we will stay out of wilderness seasons and situations? Absolutely not. Why? Because God uses the wilderness to accomplish His purposes. The Bible says in Proverbs 3.5, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not in your own understanding. Acknowledge Him in all your ways and He will direct your path. We fast forward and we see where the Israelites are face to face with the Philistines. And we see where the, Goli- where, where the, the, the giant Goliath, it says that he stood at six cubits in a span. That's anywhere from six foot one to nine foot one. He said this. He said, bring out your best soldier. He bring out someone to fight me. And I'll make a deal with you. If he kills me, all of us will be your slaves. But if I kill him, then all of you have to be our slaves. Fear struck the Israelites. They said, there's no way in the world that we can overcome this. There is no way out. I don't know how this is going to happen. Is there anyone that can even compare to this giant? There was someone by the name of David. And what did David say? He said, I'll go. He said, send me. Why? Because he had history with the Lord. He trusted the Lord. It's the same David that walked in with a sack and five stones and one slingshot. He said, the Lord that delivered me from the paw of the bear, the Lord that 